The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Eileen Fiore sitting in for Mary Woods uh, today for one hour at a time. And today we have um, a very interesting discussion that we'd like to begin with. Dr. Arthur Sierra Micoli, who is the author of a very timely book called The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. So, Dr. Sierra McCauley, um, I'm wondering um, if there's any um, introductory uh, statements that would be helpful for our listeners in framing the conversation we're going to have today. Well, Eileen, maybe just let the listeners know that I'm a clinical psychologist and author. I've been in practice for over 35 years. I've headed psychology departments in hospitals. I've been on the faculty of Harvard Medical School for several years. But now I'm primarily in private practice and writing. And one of the topics that I've been very concerned about recently in the last few years, and especially during this presidential race, is stress. You know, Americans have more stress now. And according to a recent study just two weeks ago, the stress rates have even increased since I wrote the book. Um, And 75% of Americans say that they suffer from stress daily, physically or emotionally. And 50% of Americans say they wake up at night due to stress. And 75% of all visits, visits to primary care physicians last year was due to stress, was caused by stress. So it's a phenomenon in our society that has really been quite damaging to our health because when we have stress, we release the stress hormone cortisol, and cortisol can be very damaging in many ways because that stress hormone, when it's high, uh, produces negative thinking, it causes weight gain, it causes inflammation, hair loss, it breaks down muscle tissue, it causes flabbiness, depression, anxiety, and it actually kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. It also throws off blood sugar levels, which increase fat cells, and make us crave sugary substances. So it contributes to weight gain as well. So it's a dangerous hormone, and when we're stressed on an ongoing basis, it really compromises our health to a significant degree. So those numbers are pretty frightening, doctor. Um, And you mentioned the political arena of today. Um, so this is certainly a reflection of a growing issue in our society. Um, can you um, help our listeners uh, kind of take a look at what, um, why we need to really talk about reducing stress and what's missing in our society that so many folks are leading particularly unsatisfactory lives with all of this worry? Well, I think, you know, our political climate with presidential candidates' emphasis on aggression, insults, lying, lack of integrity is symbolic of the de-emphasis of the importance of character and empathy that's currently dominating our elected officials, the corporate world, and influencing our society. So we know that stress rates have increased dramatically, and we know that we're a society that has focused far too much on materialism and appearance, and it's what I call performance addiction. You know, performance addiction is a term that I phrased a few years ago when I wrote a book with that title that indicates that we're far more interested in how we look and how much we have than who we are. You know, we can tell people what we do or what we've accomplished, but we have a very hard time, maybe even a little threatened, to answer the question of who are you. And character has 
character and integrity have taken a backseat to image and performance. And I think that really has contributed significantly to the increase in stress. In addition, you know, empathy rates have been down. Prejudice is up. Trust has been decreased. Americans say they have fewer friends today than they had 10 or 15 years ago. So those are all indications that our society is suffering in certain ways. And one of the key ways to reduce stress is to be able to perceive accurately because most of the stress that, that we really do experience is caused by misperception, and that's where cognitive behavioral therapy comes in because, you know, this book is titled The Stress Solution Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. And cognitive behavioral therapy basically focuses on the way we distort reality, the way we distort perceptions of others and ourselves using some of the distortions like generalizing and black and white thinking and catastrophizing, mind reading, magnifying, these ways that we accentuate what we see. And the brain doesn't really differentiate between the movie we create in our mind and what is in fact happening in reality. So being able to perceive accurately is crucial to reducing stress as old biased thinking, and we all grow up with some form of biased thinking about ourselves or others based on early conditioning, and it distorts reality and causes unnecessary tension. So empathy you know, calms the emotional brain so we can perceive accurately and thoughtfully, and that is the key way to reduce stress. So, um, Doctor, maybe we could spend a couple of minutes really looking at the concept of empathy. Um, because clearly from what you're saying, it's, it's an empty space in most of our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, empathy, it, empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It's quite different than sympathy. You know, people often get it confused with sympathy. For instance, sympathy rushes in to console immediately without having the facts. Empathy takes its time to, to obtain facts and is more objective and, and fact-oriented. Uh, I'll give you an example, Eileen. I have a uh, client who uh, moved here from California, and she lives on the street where she's just meeting her neighbors, and her dad passed away last year. She was very, very close to her father, and she heard that one of the neighbor's fathers had recently died of a massive heart attack. So she put together a basket of food and some uh, flowers, and she brought it down to the woman, and she rang her doorbell, and when the woman answered the doorbell, she said, Oh, my God, I'm so sorry I heard about what happened to your dad. You must be devastated. I was devastated when my dad passed away. And she looked at my client and said, You know, I thank you for your generosity, but I'm not devastated. My father left our family when I was two years old. I wouldn't recognize my father if I saw him because I never, ever encountered him. So I, I thank you for your kindness, but I'm, I'm not devastated because he was a person that I never knew. So you see, sympathy rushed in to console without having the facts. Yes. Empathy would have made sure that we had the facts before assuming, because empathy is a, sympathy is a lot of times just based on what we experience, not the unique experiences of the other person. And it's a, sympathy is a quick reaction, rather than empathy slows our reaction down so that we can use the thinking part of the brain, not the emotional part of the brain. And interestingly, you know, empathy... When we give and receive empathy, it's the opposite of when we, when we give and receive stress because empathy produces the brain chemical oxytocin. It's a near-magical neurotransmitter that we produce, women produce when they're pregnant. You know, it's called the connecting hormone or the love hormone. And when you give and receive empathy, you reduce anxiety and reduce cortisol levels, that stress hormone. It helps us live longer. It aids in recovery from illness and injury. It promotes a sense of calm and well-being. It increases generosity, protects against heart disease, and importantly, it reduces craving for addictive substances, and it creates a bonding and an increase in trust of other people. It decreases fear, and it makes us feel secure with other people, so we're open for love, friendship, and connection. So empathic interactions, when we give and receive empathy, we produce a hormone. We change our brain chemistry. And it makes us feel more secure, and it actually protects our entire physiology. When we're relating with stress, we reduce empathy, interestingly, because our, our thinking becomes very narrow. And, and when we, we produce too much cortisol, the stress hormone, we can't read other people very accurately because 
our thinking becomes more black and white and we don't see the gray in situations. So these positive interactions change our brain chemistry for the better. Stressful interactions create a brain chemistry release that actually inhibits our ability to understand others and ourselves. So, Doctor, this is really quite fascinating because all of this is taking place in a single brain and we have essentially our own remedy available to us through the use of ourselves. Um, the, what you were describing within empathy, is it fair to consider that part of a journey that you share with another person um, where you begin to understand better? Yes, I think empathy, Eileen, is really the heart of understanding. It, it creates an atmosphere and it creates a brain change in ourselves and others that creates a bonding and it creates trust and it allows us to open up and be vulnerable. You know, the trusting foundation that empathy creates changes our brain chemistry, calms our soul, and puts us in a position to listen. And then we can open up and take in what we need to hear in order to rewrite our story. Our story meaning the the kind of biases about ourselves or others that we, we grew up with. And that allows us to correct distorted thinking. And only then we become who we are destined to be. So it's through empathic interactions that we come to know ourselves better. We come to know others better. We're able to read others better. We're able to know who we should get close to and who we should remain distant from. You know, it allows us to go beyond the cover of the book. It goes, uh, helps us go beyond the surface into the heart and soul of other human beings. Which is... What we all going to have to, I think, take a, a brief break right now, and we'll return with Dr. Sierra McCauley shortly. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being and learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Eileen Fiore sitting in for Mary Woods for one hour at a time. 
And today we're having a very interesting conversation and very timely um, with Dr. Arthur Sierra Micoli, who is has written a um, very comprehensive book on called The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. And um, we've talked a little bit, Doctor, about empathy. Um, maybe just for our listeners, we could do a, a brief description of, of cognitive behavioral therapy because sometimes I don't know that we're even aware of our own um, thoughts and beliefs underneath some of our um, actual behaviors and decisions. Sure. Well, I mean, cognitive behavioral therapy is really focused on perception, how we perceive and it also focuses on the ways that we can distort what we see in others or in situations. And I accented in the book because when we are distorting what we see, we, we become more stressed. And then we release the stress hormone cortisol, what we were talking about earlier, and all the negative effects it causes. So I combine the power of empathy, brain science, and cognitive behavioral therapy in the book to provide people with what I believe is a comprehensive self-help tool to lessen stress and balance. You know, empathy, as I, as I mentioned earlier, calms the emotional brain so we can perceive accurately and thoughtfully. Cognitive behavioral therapy helps us correct distorted thinking. And knowledge regarding neurochemistry allows us to produce our own natural chemicals that create calm, focused energy to do and be the best we can be. So as I mentioned earlier, when we're giving and receiving empathy and when we're perceiving accurately, we produce oxytocin, this near ma- magical neurotransmitter. When we're distorting reality and, and distorting through you know, generalizing or black and white thinking, catastrophizing and, and the others that I mentioned, then we produce cortisol, which has many negative effects. So the combination of empathy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and knowing how to change our brain chemistry is what this book is all about. So, so, Doctor, part of this um, is really based on an individual's experience. I mean, we sort of, um, and earlier you had mentioned, so change the script, uh, kind of rewrite the movie of what we see. Could you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about that? Sure. You know, early in life, we create a novel, a fictitious story about ourselves that we write based on what we think is being reflected back to us from those around us, as if we're looking at ourselves in a mirror. And if the mirrors you're looking into are cracked or inaccurate, you get a distorted view of yourself as if you're looking in a circus mirror. And as a result, we create an inaccurate story about ourselves, and this story sets the stage for an irrational belief system. And, and we can't change this story alone. We're all too subjective. We need a group of people in our lives that will give us honest feedback so that we can obtain an accurate view of ourselves today, who we are today a more objective account than the one we came to believe earlier in life. And, you know, none of us grew up in a completely objective surrounding, Eileen. We all, you know, as you know, we all grow up and listen to biases about ourselves or others. Some people think they're not very intelligent or they're not uh, very athletic or they're not very attractive. And oftentimes it's incorrect, but we grow up with these ideas and they stick to us. That's where, as we, we were talking off the air, that's where emotional learning is. It's not rational. It's, it doesn't make rational sense. But it's things we learned emotionally early in life about ourselves and others. And prejudices are the same thing. We hear things about other people, and we, we believe them as children because we don't know any different. We, we don't have the ability to make accurate assessments of what we're hearing. So we grow up not only with prejudices about other people, but prejudices about ourselves inaccuracies that have to be corrected. So what I like to teach people is, and and the book really focuses on, because it's more of a workbook, is that we all have to rewrite that fictional account of ourselves and make it a non-fictional book. We we have to edit the book and edit the book based on facts, based on taking in feedback from other people who we consider to be rational and reasonable and form objective opinions of ourselves today. We have to rewrite the story, essentially. And so earlier, Doctor, when you had said um, the really uh, mentioning the importance of distinguishing sympathy and empathy, what you've just described is really a journey that's taken with the support and help of others who yeah. take the time and invest uh, in any human being 
and I suspect that doing so in return for someone else expands the influence? Yes, because once we are in relationships where we truly are slow down and give and receive empathy, we have a great trust for the other person and what they're, and what they're indicating to us and we go back and forth, and when you do that even with a group of people, you learn far more about yourself because you're open. And empathy creates a feeling of security and bonding, and it makes us open to learn about who we are today and, and not putting, as I always say, an accent in the book, we stop putting old faces on new faces and that we, we start really perceiving accurately today and we learn more about ourselves today because the relationships that really foster trust and connection and bonding are the ones that allow us to grow. The relationships that just cause more stress, more anxiety, more tension, they limit our capacity for empathy. And it's really, it, it ends up two people talking at each other rather than truly listening to each other on a deeper level. So our current world of uh, technology and rapid information um, and uh, the ability to um, create stories through sound bites is um, a huge challenge to individuals actually talking to one another and learning each other's story. Um, Any particular tips on how to tune out the stimulation and reconnect with human beings? Well, one thing is to always remember that, you know, when you use empathy, empathy really slows down our brains so that we can assess situations accurately and, and not focus on sound bites. I mean, we hear things every day that are untrue in the media. And, and we hear things, we, people come in and tell me, oh, gee, I heard a study this morning news that vitamin C does this or such and such a pharmaceutical does that. And I ask people, do you know where the study is? Oh, I don't know where the study is. Well, do you know how many people are in the study? Oh, I don't know that either. Well, how do we know that it's accurate? You know, when, when we want to learn from other people, there are, certain, there are certain empathic directives that we can follow. The first is slow down. Empathy slows things down so that emotions can be tempered with thoughtful reflection. When you're a quick reactor, empathy goes out the window, and empathy really goes out the window when the environment is too hot or too cold. When we're reacting too emotionally or when we're too distant and not engaged, there's a lack of empathy. So the first directive in terms of establishing an empathic relationship is to slow down. The second is ask open-ended questions. This puts preconceptions aside while expressing true interest in the other person's perspective. Instead of asking your teenage daughter, honey, do you really think your date was cute? You might actually say, how was your evening with your new date? You see, one question is really a statement. You know, honey, do you really think your date was cute? means the mother doesn't think the date was cute. And most people don't have the courage to make a statement, when and so they ask a question instead. And in fact, the majority of questions are often statements. But open-ended questions say that, really, I'm curious about what you mean. I really want to understand uniquely what you, your unique expressions, your unique point of view. And they open the door to empathic interactions. Another step is avoid snap judgments. Empathy does not categorize based on past experiences, but sees human beings as always changing and evolving. So avoid the snap judgment. Avoid thinking you know the person immediately. Slow down so that you can ask open-ended questions and learn about another person. And learn from the past. This is another step. You know, we need to understand our past so that our theories and old patterns don't interfere with understanding and perceiving. So if you're unaware of your own biases from the past, your ability to perceive accurately will be compromised. For instance, if you have a fear of anger because your father had a short temper, you may be overly sensitive to people you encounter who are passionate but not angry. You know, they're just excited about what they believe in and you think it's anger. So it's important to differentiate the past from the present. And also pay attention to your body and the other person's. You know, empathy is an integrated mind-body response. Thoughts interact with feelings in an empathic nervous system response, meaning that our nervous systems talk to each other. So, 
you could even look at it as a kind of physiological empathy, that it's a give-and-take process. Through mirroring each other's nervous system, we exchange much-needed information. So pay attention to the emotional reactions you're having physically. And those are a few steps that you can take or anyone can take to really engage another person and find out more about who they are, and hopefully they in turn will do the same with you. Which certainly creates um, that pathway to connection. Um, And I guess there is um, definitely a role of honesty and authenticity in this process. Um, And I guess sometimes folks are reluctant to be openly honest or truly authentic with others. Um, Any particular tips on how we might uh, remove some of those barriers? Well, you know, authenticity is crucial to being relaxed and not being stressed. And, And most people are attracted to authenticity. It relaxes us because we realize we don't have to be on guard. We can be human, have flaws, make mistakes, and still be accepted and like liked. And living authentically creates an inner calm, allows us to actualize our potential as, as we free up energy from the stress of pretending. And, you know, when we substitute our inherent personality for one that's trying to please to gain acceptance and love, it's a failing proposition because pretense is a burden that's depleting and it also makes it difficult to maintain intimacy as closeness to other people is based on being able to be open, genuine, and vulnerable. And when we realize that, you know, we're all imperfect, when we, when we get obsessed with the perfectionism that we, many people live with in our society, authenticity dries up and goes away. Well, thank you, Doctor. We're going to take a very brief break, and we'll be right back to continue to explore the topic of stress. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to our listeners. This is Eileen Fiore sitting in 
for Mary Woods, and I'm um, having a wonderful discussion with Dr. Arthur Sierra Micoli, who has um, written a number of books, but the one we're talking about today is called The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. Um, just before the break, uh, Doctor, we were talking about honesty and authenticity, mm-hmm. and um, it just seems very striking uh, if you compare the need for that with some of the manifestations that you make note of um, in performance addiction. Could you speak a little more to that? Sure. Performance addiction is a term that I coined some years ago, meaning that it's the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will secure love and respect. It's an irrational belief system that's learned from early family experiences, and it's reinforced by a material appearance-driven society. You know, my first recognition of performance addiction came about largely as a result of my work with a group of individuals who embodied so many of the qualities that, highly re- are, that are highly regarded in professional and public life. Their resumes were very impressive, but I noticed that despite their capabilities, they seemed to have little regard for their personal achievements or their own physical appearance. They all seemed to be what I call scoreboard watchers. Every day, They took inventory of how well or how terribly they were performing or how attractive or dreadful they looked in the mirror. So I think people who become performance addicts, and there's a performance addiction quiz at the end of the the stress solution, the end of the book, it's, it's amazing to me how many people test at least in the moderate range because, you know, this idea about achievement and appearance is going to bring us love and respect is, is very entrenched in our society right now. And really, what really brings us love and respect is being able to relate and having high interpersonal skills. And, and of course, as I accent throughout the book, having an in-depth view of empathy and knowing how to express empathy and to put it into words with other people. So performance addiction really, performance addicts really suffer in this sense, Eileen, because they they are addicted to performing and believing that achievement and perfecting the way they look is the only way to attain love and respect. And oftentimes they don't even know what they're, that's what they're doing. But for instance, you know, I interviewed a, a successful CEO the other day, 54 years old, and um, he told me he's a multimillionaire, doesn't need to work anymore, but he just can't stop working. And he had read a portion of the stress solution, and that's how he got to see me, because he said that I read the chapter on performance addiction, and then I read some comments that you made about intimacy, and he said, that's me. You know, I, I wrote in the book that we work too much, sleep too little, love with half a heart and wonder why we're unhappy and un- unhealthy. And he said, that statement alone drove me to your office because I am a performance addict. And and unfortunately, he told me about several affairs that he's had with other women and that he is, you know feels guilty about that, but he's always trying to conquer and uh, trying to become, make himself attractive to younger women, and it all boils down to a, a sense of insecurity and old hurts that were never resolved early in life. You know, past disappointments or emotional pain that can program our brains to jump to conclusions very quickly, and when we sense similar circumstances to the past, and this is very much what this person and many others suffer from, you know, trying to overcome a feeling of insecurity early in life through achievement and appearance, and it it just is a failing proposition. And it particularly is a failing proposition when it comes to being able to establish intimate relationships. You know, empathy is the harder relationship skills needed to help performance addicts move past from what I call image love to real love. You know, performance addicts have tremendous difficulty loving. They base their own lovability on their daily performance, and unfortunately, they expect the same of their partner and their kids. So they're constantly comparing and contrasting themselves and their partners to others. They find it easy to fall in love, that binding and blinding effect of early sex in in the early phase of a relationship creates an illusion and what what really is an image of love. And they have to really unlearn some of these ideas about what brings people closer to each other and what, what allows people to gain respect for each other. You know, I've been doing group sessions, um, for over 25 years, and it's interesting because people can't share their resumes in these groups, and they don't even tell people their last names or what they do, and what they notice over time is the people who have the most esteem in these group sessions 
are the people who know how to listen, the people who know how to use empathy to look into another person's heart and soul beyond the surface. So they begin to calm down. And as one of my hard-driving patients said a few weeks ago, he said, you know, the only time I feel calm in the course of a week is when I'm in a group session. Because we're not, we're not talking about how much you achieve or what you look like. We're really focusing on what all human beings care about, the connections we make, how we're viewed by others, how we're able to connect to others. And all human beings want to be loved and respected, but unfortunately, performance addicts are really going down a side road that never leads to that level of love that they really long for. Which is an incredibly sad statement about the world that we live in, um, as it seems to be supported by the media, um, it's supported by marketing techniques, it's, it's just supported by that drive to achieve, um, and we are, I guess, losing our connection to one another. Um, is what are some of the tools, Doctor, that might help us sort of reconnect with ourselves? I know one of the um, components of the book, actually a couple of times in the book, you make reference to journaling and taking inventories and you have some lovely examples of some of the questions we might ask ourselves. Is there something that you could share with our listeners in those arenas? Well, I, I have a, sec- a chapter in the book that I talk about goodness breakthroughs, Eileen, which is when I think people finally realize that it's not so much correcting what's wrong with us, it's really uncovering what's always been right with us. And there, there's goodness in every human being. And I think in our society, our, our very hard-driven, fast-paced society, our natural goodness gets covered over. And we don't uh, oftentimes even realize it's there. We know that people who give, um, that, you know, the kindest, most empathic people have the greatest health. We know that when you're, when you're giving, you produce helpers high, which is, again, producing that, that miracle tra- neurotransmitter oxytocin. So it's kind of learning that you, you have goodness within you. You just have to slow down enough and be in relationships where you can actually explore yourself to find out who you are that will lead to a less stressful life and unleash some of the goodness that you really haven't recognized in yourself. You know, once we've traveled back and healed our broken hearts and some of the old conditioning that we've suffered from, we see the world differently. And then we can see ourselves and others clearly, and we notice the good in life again. And, you know, it's because, you know, when we have old hurts, when our hearts are broken, goodness is often lost in the suffering, and we're reticent to open up to others for being hurt again. But when we are in, engaged in relationships and we try to connect with other people and we are, you know, really patient and we slow down and try to ask open-ended questions and try to really connect, we start to find out who we are again. And we start to see that we're not as bad as we think we are. And again, I think a lot of the goodness that is inside human beings becomes hidden when we move too fast, when, we're, when we work too much, when we don't get enough sleep. And then we, lo- we love, you know, when we're sleep deprived and we're stressed, um, empathy goes down the tube and we, we can't really relate very well and we're not, we have difficulty being present because we're too stressed and anxious and we end up being unhappy and health- unhealthy. And, and this can be rectified. This book, I wrote this book as a workbook. You know, at the end of each chapter, there's a take action part. There's journaling, as, I, as you mentioned where I ask people specific questions about the chapter and ask who you related to in the chapter, the stories that I told of different people that I've encountered. But I also ask you to take action at the end of each chapter and share certain um, of your insights with other people and ask them what they think. Because, again, we're all too subjective to grow in this area alone. We need other people to help us, and we need other good people to balance us, and they need us to balance them. Which very often is the suggestion in your take action component of asking close friend or um, associate for their honest feedback. Um, Is that one of the ways this negative self-image can be uh, challenged? Is that the best way perhaps to challenge that negative self-talk? Yeah, because, you know, negative self-talk is... is very detrimental, and we, we didn't learn to talk to ourselves negatively by ourselves. 
You never meet a one, two, or three-year-old who's talking negatively about themselves. It's learned. And anything that is learned can be unlearned. No human being was born being negative toward themselves. It's not natural. You know, little children think they can do anything. They're open to the world. They're curious. They're, they can't wait to go outside and, and play in the leaves and do whatever because they, they're full of energy and high spirit. You know, my daughter, our daughter is a kindergarten teacher, and she'll tell you that in her class this year of 22 students, 11 of them were from other countries. And they, no matter even... Even though they come from other cultures and they're other in different religions, they're all out in the playground hugging each other, playing with each other. The boys show just as much empathy as the girls do. So it's only the conditioning thereafter that changes them. Very interesting. And we're going to explore that a little bit more when we come back after a very short break. Thank you, Doctor. You're welcome. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. If you have been experiencing addiction issues, be it drugs, alcohol, or something else, you know what it means to feel alone in the world. The Power to Create Yourself with host Ross Ramin is here to prove that you don't have to feel this way. There are others who have been there or are still there, and together we can sort out the truths and the lies in order to reveal the true essence of your character. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Well, thank you for rejoining us. Um, this is Eileen Fiore sitting in for Mary Woods today, one hour at a time. And we're really enjoying um, a dialogue with Dr. Arsa Sierra Micoli, who has written a very timely uh, book called The Stress Solution, Using Empathy cognitive, and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. Um, and certainly the content of the book, Doctor, is far deeper than its title, um, it, based on our, our, certainly on our conversation here and, and the deep connection that the book is encouraging us to create with one another as we slow down and take time to really get to know one another and allow each other to challenge our own beliefs about ourselves and each other. Um, I'm wondering if we could take a look at um, some of your suggestions when you talk about self-care and creating well-being. Um, I think some of that sometimes is, uh, is easily overlooked in the importance 
of being able to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I, there's a chapter on self-care, as you know, Eileen, in the book, and where I focus a good deal on the latest information on nutrition and also exercise and diet. But I also start with a, a story of someone who was, is resistant to exercising and taking better care of herself because, you know, in this country, we're the most educated country in the world in terms of nutrition, and yet we have the highest, you know, childhood obesity rates have tripled in the past 30 years, and around 70% of adults over 20 are obese, according to the Center for D- Disease Control. So the percentage of Americans that exercise regularly now is below 50%. But what I try to accent in this chapter is that false beliefs, inaccurate perceiving, and a negative self-voice produce stress, which in turn reduces our energy and creates a state of depletion. And as a result, our mood is low. And when our mood is low, we, we, don't have, a little, we have a little interest in exercising or eating properly. So your sleep is disrupt, disrupted because cortisol regulates our circadian rhythms. And when we're stressed, our cortisol levels rise, creating a craving for high sugar and high fat foods. And cortisol, as we mentioned before, reduces uh, our uh, suppresses our immune system, reduces testosterone, which leads to muscle weakness, and so on and so forth. And we know that fitness levels correlated with how well our brain functions, and and our fitness or lack of it correlates with how we perceive. So, it's not that you know. I I try to tell people who are overweight or not taking care of themselves, not exercising. It's probably not because. You don't want to take care of yourself. It, 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 it has to do with your stress levels. And once you produce enough cortisol and once you, you continue to produce it by having negative comments to yourself, calling yourself names, you're producing stress. And that stress is taking away the energy that you have. And then your mood is low and you don't feel like doing anything. So what do you do? The cortisol drives your desire for sugary substances. So the work is to calm yourself. And to know how to calm yourself because that critical self-voice produces stress. Stress produces cortisol and then we have an imbalance in our system that makes us eat the wrong things and we feel like we can't control where we're going. But I can tell, I can tell every, every person that's listening, and I know this for a fact, that once you expand your empathic range, you're able to identify the misguided core beliefs that you have and the misguided ways that you talk to yourself. And then when you learn to recognize the negative things you're saying to yourself, the cognitive distorting distortions that you're using that increase stress and reduce your ability to be close to others and take care of yourself, you're on the way to changing and reducing stress significantly. And a simple human interaction can change your neurochemistry. A change in your neurochemistry can trigger a change in your body. And your, your ability to produce those good chemicals that will make you want to take better care of yourself happens in relationships. And what can happen in a relationship, how one brain can change another brain, how one soul can enter into the, the heart of another soul and change what happens in your brain, it, it's, it's more powerful than any surgery or any pill you could ever take. And it's possible for everyone. Part of what happens that, that interferes with self-care is our beliefs about ourselves, the way we talk to ourselves. And you bring yourself down when you do that. When we know that every negative thought produces a brain reaction, okay? So every negative thought we have produces a negative reaction for around 90 seconds, neuropsychologists have proven. And then after 90 seconds, it will dissipate. But if you keep saying negative things to yourself, you produce more and more stress, more and more cortisol, And there's no way that you're going to want to eat correctly because your body is craving simple sugars because of the excess cortisol in your body. It's really not your fault. It's it's happening because of the way you've been conditioned to talk to yourself. And that can be unlearned. And this is one of the... um the um, points where the take action component of each of the chapters in your book gives us an opportunity to be able to shift that um, that whole dialogue, I guess, that we have and not even apparently that aware of exactly what we are, our... Um, doing and saying to ourselves at the same time, uh, regardless of whether we're doing it to others as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
One of the components that come, one thing that comes to my mind is, as you're talking, doctor, is how important it is to stay in the moment and be mindful. Your yeah. chapter on I am who I am, um, mm-hmm. I found particularly interesting. Um, for just that reason, it does sort of ask people to take pause for a moment and think about who you are. Yes. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about that for our listeners? Well, because I, I think, Eileen, people focus so much on what we do rather than who we are. And in the end, it's far more important who you are than what, you, what you've achieved. It's important to achieve. You know, we're, we're achieving. You're, you're a radio host. I wrote a book. I mean, we, we want to achieve things. We want to be the best we can be. But in the end, it's more important what your character is made up of and what level of integrity you have. It's more important. Your relationships and your interpersonal skills are more important than your resume. No one is going to love you very long for your resume. And, and we all have to learn that at some point. You know, ultimately, if we fail at love, we failed at life, let's face it. You know, and if you, if you don't know the truth about yourself, you, you can't find sustainable love. So, so, and you won't succeed without cons- considerable stress if you're operating on an image of yourself rather than understanding that you're imperfect, I'm imperfect, we're all imperfect, we're all flawed in certain ways. But what a relief it is when you can acknowledge your imperfections, not have to hide them, not be embarrassed by them, maybe work on them and try to improve, but never expect to be perfect. So many people I meet are striving for perfection. I call it the religion of perfection. It's, it's like a religion that they can't let go of. And, 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 Doctor, that is just such a wonderful summary of our hour today, which went by altogether too quickly. Um, and I certainly encourage our listeners to um, pick up a copy of The Stress Solution um, by Dr. Sierra McCauley. It's fascinating and very timely. Um, and if you're going to take a moment for anything about yourself... Take a moment to reflect on that information. Thank you very much um, for all of your conversation today, Doctor. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Eileen. I appreciate the opportunity. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.